The following podcast contains spoilers. We strongly recommend you watch the episode of The Americans we're discussing before listening to the podcast. New episodes air Wednesdays at 10 p.m. on FX. What I love playing is is when when the cracks appear, and that's what always interests me. You know, he's so occupied, preoccupied with the safety of his his family. That's tantamount. So everything else must be juggled in order to secure that. So, but it, it makes for an incredibly strenuous juggler. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Slate's TV Club Insider Podcast for Season 4 of The Americans, where today we'll be talking about Episode 408, which has the longest title ever, The Magic of David Copperfield 5, The Statue of Liberty Disappears. I'm June Thomas, and I've returned once again to gobsmacking Gowanus, Brooklyn, where the show is made, and today our guests include the director of this episode, who you may also know as Philip Jennings, Clark Westerfield, and many other aliases. That conversation with Matthew Rees is coming right up. But first, after last night, we just had to speak to Alison Wright, a.k.a. Martha. Let's check in with Alison real quick, as well as the showrunners Joe Weisberg and Joel Fields. Alison, it seemed like right up to the end, Martha wasn't sure how things were going to work out. She was nervous when the car appeared. Like, how confident were you playing it that she, like, she just knew that she was everything was going to work out fine? No, that's not the that's not the approach I had at all. <laughs> um, I think that she um, she's in a different state now. Um, Joe once, when I was discussing it with Joe, uh, put it like she's in the, a, a really profound state in this final um, act of this situation that she's mm-hmm. in. Um, I think she's realized what she's done and how much danger she could be in, uh, that Clark is essentially keeping her alive. Mm-hmm. She can't go home. She can't go back to her work, uh, her co-workers. I'm sure she's ashamed and embarrassed to even tell her parents what she's done. At, at this time, everyone in the country thought that the Soviet Union was the evil empire, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, she has to move forward from now, not what was happening last year or what could happen in the future. She's stuck in this moment right now, and she's just dealing with this moment as best as she can, I think. And also, you know, this could be the last time that she's going to see her husband, she wants to hold it together to some extent for that too, not be a, a you know a, a blubbering mess on the floor or like losing it. You know she wants to enjoy those last moments, looking at his face right. and seeing him. Well, Allison, you're sitting here with the script of this episode eight in your lap. Yes, and I see you have a page folded over, and it has for that single scene an entire page of notes on it, and you said it was listing. Everything that could be going through Martha's mind in this moment, just on that walk to the plane. Yes. Yeah. Can you give us Should I read them? A few, yes. Um, Okay. (laughs) And you wrote this before, you wrote this at what point in your process? Um, This is when I'm working through the script. Um, 
as soon as I get it and I try and figure out, obviously eight depends on, in this case, 408 depends on 407 and 407 depends on 406. Yes. This, since 401, it's one month. You know, it's the month of March since since 401. Now we're just on like the 28th, the 29th of March. It's all happened in one month and they all depend on each other for her. But some of the things that I'm thinking about for her when she's uh, facing this in 408, I have, um, they know who I am and what I've done. The FBI are on to me. I have nowhere to hide. I can't go home. They could find me and catch me anytime. I won't betray Clark. We fell in love no matter what. Maybe there's really nothing going on with Jennifer. He is a killer. Is he dangerous? I'm lucky to be alive and not in prison. I have to face the music as best I can. He really does love me. I could kill myself once I get there. I might be executed en route anyway. So these are just some of the things that she's got on her plate this (laughs) Right, you didn't even read them all. Right, yeah, and that's not all of them. That's, you know, but... These are big, profound thoughts. These are terrifying thoughts. And and also, again, like I said, but kind of more important is saying goodbye to this man. Yeah. Still, because this is a huge love for her. And she doesn't speak Russian yet, and she doesn't know what she's going to find if she gets there. I mean, it's 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 there's a lot completely of unknowns. unknown, but yeah. she has to face the music. She's got herself here. She's got to hold on to those things that she does know. Mm-hmm. And this is a strength that she has that she didn't have before, that she didn't possess before at the beginning of this story. No way. She's become stronger because of all she's had to deal with, with Clark, all the adjusting that she's had to do when it hasn't been the way, it hasn't been the marriage that she envisioned envisioned she was going to have. She doesn't have the child she wanted. You know, he's not there all the time, all of these problems. So she's had to adapt and become stronger because of that. It's almost like she she didn't get the the things that you're supposed to have, the things that would be... When you have her married, you have this and that. You have the yes. child. You have, but she has really figured out some things about herself. She's, she is a, a str- much stronger person. Yes, much. yeah. She's managed to deflect the FBI a little bit on yeah. her own yeah. this season. You know, Clark disappeared when he was busy with his glanders and whatnot. <laughs> you know, he wasn't reachable. And she had to, to lie to her co-worker, you know, and convincingly, you know, and she, she managed that. Yeah. She's awesome, let's face it. <laughs> now, um, over the course of the, 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 uh, the arc of Martha thus far, um, she's transformed so much. Like, how have you, how has it changed how the way you play her? Because she was kind of meek at the beginning, and now she's still not, you know, she's not the same as Elizabeth, but she's, she, she is a much stronger person. It's not that you play her differently because mm. I'm playing what is happening to her in that moment. I'm mm. playing what she expects to happen and what is actually happening. And maybe she has a little bit more gumption in the way that she deals with those things now or the things that she might demand or ask for, whether that's the truth or mm. when she's pushing for the child, um, not backing down so much. But otherwise, you're still just playing the reality of what's happening to her. Alison, thank you again. Thank you for coming back to us. You're the best. (laughs) Thank you very much. Don't be alone, Clark. All right? Don't be alone. You too. Oh, sure. I'll just learn Russian and... Me too.
And now let's talk to Matthew Rees, the Welsh actor of Some Note, who also directed this week's episode. Matthew, thanks for joining us. Well, lovely to be here. <laughs> I was just commenting on that. The writer's kitchen is something to behold. In fact, people who aren't on the writing staff come into the kitchen go like this. <gasps> <laughs> so, Matthew Rees, not only are you the star of the show, but this episode, you're also the director. Oh, I know. A dangerous, vicious combination. A foolish <laughs> is there one. There's nothing you can't do, sir. Oh, but where shall we begin on that list? <laughs> oh, but Which no, is you, why I went into showbiz. Oh, good. Well, you also, IMDb told me, you, you also directed four episodes of Brothers and Sisters when you were on that other show. That other show, I did. Um, so have you always been wanting to direct The Americans ever since you got on here? Not always, because I think I was, I was aware early on it's a very, it's a, compared to Brothers and Sisters, it's an, you couldn't be further apart they're poles apart and and i think the jays would agree in that it's not a, it's not a particularly easy show to direct it's it's you know we our schedule is is tough it's a it's a muscular show i think it's an it's a, a very acrobatic one mm-hmm. in that you have to jump from Almost in certain days, you feel like you're in different genres, or you know, it, it, there's a little bit of something to challenge you. Yeah. It's not just. I love brothers and sisters dearly, but it was a it was a much safer environment, and, yeah. and the Americans terrified me. Well, in this episode, you have all kinds of different things. You've got, <laughs> you've got like you've got this this kind of lovely little scene at the beginning where we kind of saying goodbye to Martha, waving her off, and, and you know just the preparations. You've got your wife being a stone-cold killer, Elizabeth, mm. who kills a comrade. But not. I'm not going to suggest that she's a psychopath because they don't like that, but whatever. <laughs> and then you also have this kind of historical montage toward the end. I mean, you had a lot, to, to, you had a honest, lot of different challenges. I honestly thought that these two got together and went, right, let's li- write a list that in- encapsulates everything you'd have to direct and put it in one episode. It was the opposite. There was like a time when we were doing the schedule and we suddenly looked at each other and were like, Oh, we've given Matthew the hardest episode of the year. <laughs> <laughs> can I, in all seriousness, can, when you realized the sort of size of that episode, you know, I'm sure there was nervous moments for you and you're going, uh, first time, you know, directing stint on this episode, were you, were there? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we, uh, we thought it'd be great because we figured, look, he is never going to know that this is undoable. He's just going to have to, he's just going to do it. <laughs> <laughs> However, I, do, and I won't name the director, but there was a directing director who said, oh, let me know if there's anything, you know, anything I can help you with. I said, have a look at the teaser and let me know what you think. <laughs> and he came back and he went, you, you need seven days to shoot the teaser. <laughs> and I was like, oh, dear. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> well, it all worked out. <laughs> yes. Not that you're through shooting the episode right That's now. true. I'm still, I'm still trying to figure out what it's all about. But, but that, I, that more has to do with snow than anything else, which often strikes us oh. on the Americans. It does. And, and to be perfectly honest, I was incredibly fortunate to be mentored and handheld by um, Mr. Chris Long, who was my savior in many moments when I was lost for words. Um, do you have to, like, have a qualification to direct episodes of television? Did you have to study and stuff? The the study I sort of did when, when I think, when I did direct on Brothers and Sisters, and I really hadn't directed any, anything apart from traffic once in a car park, <laughs> they sort of said, 
they cleverly gave me like a, a go script and they said prep this as a shooting script and give us a shot list and how would you shoot a scene and and that was the the sort of mentorship there and Chris to his credit did was savvy enough to kind of go how would you shoot this scene and then I would talk <laughs> through and he sort of go okay and, and that, so that's a relief so there was you know I think there was they were very polite uh, in the, in their prepping of me as to whether I wouldn't completely mess it up. And you also are acting in, I mean, you're not invisible as an actor in this. You have a whole bunch of scenes. Mm. Like how, how do you direct yourself? Not very well. <laughs> not very well. Because you're, you're, you're neither in one or the other. In the moments where you're really in it as an actor, you have no idea what the other actors have done. And then you, go, and then you sort of go, oh, I've no idea what they were like in that scene. <laughs> so you go to other people, like Kim DeLee's The Script Supervisor, and go, how was that scene? <laughs> and she goes, very good, very good. Um, and then there were other moments, in slightly more serious moments, when I, I, when I was a purely director acting in a scene, and I'd be looking at them, sort of smiling that it was going so well. <laughs> and, then, and then Michelle, the first AD, came up and said, you, you need to stop smiling because you're... I don't think this is a smiling scene. And I was like, oh, sorry, I was just so happy that the way that take went. <laughs> like, well, you're on camera smiling. And I was like, oh, right, sorry, yes, yes. <laughs> it's a very schizophrenic sort of experience. Now, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I imagine that when you're an actor, just an actor, just an actor. Just an actor, that's all we ever are. Yeah. You get a script and you go through and you see, like, what do you have to do in this episode? You know, what's your big mm. speech? What's your, you know, how many times you're going to have to... You know, show your chest hair and stuff. <laughs> but also, now it must be different when you're directing. So how, what do you look for when you get a script that you're going to be directing? From a director's point of view or yeah. from a... Or, or both, but uh, it's how is it different, I guess, is what I'm asking. In, it differs in a million ways because I think I've always been interested in, in photography. So for, for, for the first time, you're, you're given an opportunity to kind of do exactly that and you always think about the shots that when you see other directors you go god no one's ever done that shot I, if i directed i'd do that shot um which i got to do which is great and then the the, the sort of challenge the challenge the fabulous the fantastic challenge i really enjoyed is the things you don't really think about and you sit down uh, with the first ad and she goes listen you've only got three hours for this scene and and there's this think about this think about this and you go oh god that's a lot to do and then you go you, you, it's like a puzzle we go what's a creative way that would look good but ultimately save me time in this moment so I can have more time so I don't overrun into that scene uh -huh. which I know I need the time for and then it becomes this giant challenging puzzle which is uh -huh. great and but and sometimes sort of maddening and and inspiring and everything you want it and don't want it to be you'd said about a shot that you you were proud of what what was that shot well, there were two, actually. There was that one. There was... I, when I, so after I watched The Magic of David Copperfield, you know, when he did The Disappearing, and I knew we had to transition into into something six months later that was in the miniature golf, I had this idea that if there was um, a Statue of Liberty in the miniature golf, that that would be the transitional shot. And then the other one, which I'm slightly proud of, because um, I tied it in. I always thought there's a there's a slight aerial shot at the beginning of the first act, going into the into the kitchen, and I wanted it to kind of mirror because the last thing you see after the teaser is the plane taking off, and I wanted to mirror a sort of aeroplane, an aerial view of an aeroplane coming into the Jennings uh, kitchen. It's everything. It's all these extravagant explanations that 
directors have for DGA Q&As that no one ever hears about or frankly cares about. Oh, you're so wrong. People are going to be, <laughs> going to be lapping those up. They will, exactly. They're going to listen to this. They're going to rewind this. Then they're going to go to the TV. They're going to rewind there that. Are, there are moments when I was like explaining to certain sort of grips. I was like, this is the idea. I ha-. And you realize about halfway through, they've walked off just to get, <laughs> just to get the equipment. <laughs> like they'll go, look, we'll... Yes, we'll Matthew, do yes. that. I'm, you know, <laughs> we don't care. <laughs> what was the most difficult? Sorry, what was the most difficult scene to direct? The, uh, bizarrely, and I still don't quite know how this happened. It's like when the, the scene when we all come in and watch David Copperfield. That was like one of the hardest things to shoot. I couldn't figure out why it was so hard just to watch four people watch a TV screen. Because <laughs> then you're, you're trying to you're trying to link different relationships in that in that sort of vignette you try and i don't know why but i and i sort of lost my power of articulation that day the operators were going what we don't understand what you want and i was going i'm trying to explain i need a look from them to the and then there was another long scene between elizabeth and um lisa that turned into just a logistical because you can't sometimes when you result orientate they're like at the end of the scene there has to be a bottle here for yes. this to happen so then you back track it all and then it 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 sort of becomes incredibly hard to end up you know what the end wants to be right, but i'm right. trying to get them there and the other thing i found incredibly difficult is working with actors who are impossible <laughs> impossible and cliches come true like motivation i was like i don't care what your motivation is surely that's your it's job the check that'll come next week yes i don't care I, I'm, I'm already half an hour behind just stand on the bit of tape and say the line and if it's in focus i'll take it hitchcock said directing is like being pecked to death by a thousand starlings and it's so true because there's someone going, what about this pencil for the prop? And you're like, what pencil in what scene? You're like, oh, tomorrow. You're like, oh, my God. Where do you want the popcorn machine? You're like, I didn't know you had one. And that was a genuine moment in the cinema. They're like, where do you want the cat? Where the- no, cotton candy machine. I was like, do we have one? Cotton candy machine? Yeah. We approved that for you. Oh, that was you. Thank you. For- thank you for that. Well, let me ask you this. Because it's I just curious... A curious question for for us, I think. You know, we've worked now three and a half seasons mm. uh, with you as an actor, and there are times when we've sat and talked about things in detail, talked about little scenes in mm. great detail. Mm. We've talked about big arcs or big story issues in detail. Other times when we've just sort of stood back mm. and let what we've called the alchemy happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but h- how did it feel to you to suddenly be s- communicating with us in a different way or sitting in a tone meeting and talking through the the minutiae of yeah. the script in 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 our crazy obsessive way well it's it is very it's a, it's a number of things because my initial reaction was like the the, responsi- the responsibility because this is this is a minutia laden show and it thrives and lives in that and it's and it's subtle undertones overtones you know and many tones um so you're desperately trying to take all that in and project and get that across and it's the interpreting interpretation of that in its entirety in the photographing of the show in the performances in the props you choose you just become sort of aware that this this is a show that works on an inordinate amount of levels and you hope that you you know you can sustain that or at least you know not mess that up 
How did it feel to say goodbye to Martha? That was that was incredibly difficult. Incredibly difficult because um, you know it's just been such a it's you work with anyone for four years and in in that kind of in that kind of way and then you're in charge of directing the goodbye. <laughs> that was so hard. Oh, that was so hard. Um, but yeah, it was it, it was difficult because you know you go on these journeys and these arcs with people, and and then you you see it through to the end, and it's only humour that the you know the a part, a part of you is very sad at the end. Yeah, yeah. Poor Martha. I know. But I just spoke to um, Jack about he was he was telling us about his first wife and how well she was looked after. By the KGP, we got a but like, yeah. but like beyond, like a lot of money and like uh, trips to the Crimea with chauffeurs <laughs> and cooks and wow, really? Yeah, because the 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 gratitude at that time was so. If you serve the motherland, you'll be rewarded. Um, Matthew Philip this year seems is surrounded by people who are stressed out. This episode, uh, the Jennings has got. A bit of a break. They got a bit of a vacation. Got to relieve, relieve some of that stress. But how do you think that Philip is doing? How's how's he holding up to all this stress? Do you think? But what what I love playing is is when uh, when the cracks appear, and that's what always interests me. The sort of uh. and how you deal with the cracks, uh, and that's been a steady for for Philip especially. I think over four years, uh, and it's the it's the acting challenge. It's what's interesting to watch. I think. Um, and that's what I've, I'm, I'm always, I'm always, that's what the path I'm always interested in is because, because he has such <clears throat> a strong mandate. And I've, I think I've said to the boys that, you know, he's so occupied, preoccupied with the safety of his, his family. That's tantamount. So everything else must be juggled in order to secure that. Um, so, but it, it makes for an incredibly strenuous juggler. And that's what's interesting to watch. Can you please tell me, Mr. Joel Fields, why David Copperfield's rather ropey magic trick played oh. such a large role in this episode? Don't take the bait. Oh, my goodness. Don't take the I'm bait. Worried, Joel, Joel I'm Fields I'm left fired. the room. I will never be invited back to this room. I am proud to say that David Copperfield is a boyhood idol of mine. I am proud to say that he was extremely generous and receptive in his response to our request to use his incredible special. And he actually got on the phone with us and talked to us, told us some great stories oh of, uh, of what it was like to put that special together. We were looking for a way to make this time transition work. We knew we wanted to bring Philip and Elizabeth's life to a breaking point. You talked about playing the pressures, Matthew. We we knew this was the episode where those pressures were going to become too much to bear, and we wanted we had this idea that it would allow us to have Gabriel help them take a pause. What would be a break for Philip and Elizabeth? Maybe not so much for Paige, but that's a story yet to be told. And we were looking for a way to make that time transition work. We weren't sure how. And then, as we looked at our calendar on our wall, we realized that it was falling right around the David Copperfield magic special, and it suddenly seemed like it could be the greatest thing in the world to let his little magic trick and meditation on liberty be the device that carried us through our time transition. But I want to say something else. That was a great magic trick. 
You have to remember that that was not that was in 1983 or 19. Mm. That was not a time where you had digital effects and things could like disappear so easily. Mm. Like, how did he? I mean, I remember that time, and you just couldn't do things so easily. And you think about a bunch of people like that. On obviously on television, you could if you wanted, you could do a television effect and just you know trick it. But nobody thought he was doing that. So you really watched that, and you were like. How, what's he doing? And the actual mechanics of it, which you can look up on YouTube if you want, are pretty amazingly clever. So he was able to actually fool all those people and thereby fool the television audience into wondering, how on earth did he make that happen? It, it's a cool trick. And I don't think it would be a cool trick today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But there was also something unifying uh, about it. The idea that people would come together and watch that special, not just as a family, but uh, neighborhoods would watch and School communities would talk about it the next day. Uh, the, that was a special time uh, where where people would come together and, and watch these TV shows mm. that way. No, I, I understand about the v- event television, and it, it made it made sense. It, although I said it was the hardest thing for me to shoot, <laughs> but when you see them all come together and you listen to the speech, then everything starts making sense about, especially story wise for us. It was like this very unifying moment for the family and the speech about liberty. It all ties in incredibly, incredibly well. And then six months disappear from the... Uh... <laughs> seven <laughs> there you months. Go. Well said. Seven months disappear. Yeah. Wow. Now, I have... It's now been several seasons, and I am now obsessed about why you guys are so obsessed about Est. What is it that Philip sees in Est, Matthew, do you think? I think, I think it's, a number of, it's a number of things that work incredibly well for him it's 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 a sort of it's a language that i think has been inside him but he's not been able to articulate or or something that's been it's been querying him and worrying him and he finally finds an outlet that allows everything he's probably been thinking or wanting to think or wanting to do um uh, in a way i think um, over time, that's very safe in a, in a way that he can sit in an audience, in a very anonymous audience, at first, and 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 very um, in a in a very progressive or sort of incrementally, he can take his time in building up to you know, actually voicing those things himself. I think it, it's it's it works on many levels for what Philip needs. Uh, and I think as wanting, had had been wanting for some time. Now, Elizabeth sees it very differently, though. She goes along and she's, she seems to be open to it, but she sees the way that they're trying to make people sign up for more. And like, she, like as happens in many aspects of life, she just experiences things a little bit different. Well, you know, when Matthew was talking about the cracks that appear mm-hmm. in Philip over time, that's exactly how we talk about it in the writer's room, actually. We talk about cracks for both of them, that the cracks appear in Philip and the cracks appear in Elizabeth too, although at a slower pace. So he's having the cracks appear and changing over time, and so is she. And I think for Philip, the the, the idea was, the question was, would there ever be a way that a crack would open up? Where he, We always saw both of them as very unself-aware characters. All the characters on the show were mm-hmm. unself-aware. But for Philip, would a crack ever open up that would allow him to acquire actually some of the language and, and, and some actual self-awareness, some of the language of self-awareness? And we didn't know what the answer to that would be. Certainly, he was never going to go to therapy or anything like that. But when Est sort of found its way into our storyline through Sandra Beeman, mm-hmm. suddenly there was that opportunity to use that for a crack in Philip, and it seemed and seemed perfect and, and great. And then, But then with Elizabeth... 
that's not going to be one of her cracks, yeah, right? Yeah. That's not going to work for her, which means that when she goes, it's also just a perfect point of, of tension mm-hmm. between them. And you look at that fight that they have, and it's such a it's just such a perfect marriage fight, exactly yeah. as you're saying, that he sees it one way and she sees it another. And she actually is trying. She is trying, but mm-hmm. it's not enough and it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. That's a perfect, specific character marriage fight. And you could strip those pieces away from it, and it'd be a perfect political fight, too. Yeah. And that's... that. To me, is part of when the show really gets magical is when these things are operating on all those levels. It's, it's very true for the for the parenting as well. You, mm. you you're actually not just the parenting. So several. It's 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 always when the show is working on two pistons that that you know can be interchanged for the other, sort of political and personal, or or career and children. It, they work side by side simultaneously incredibly well i i, I want to so let me ask you as a as an actor and as a director how do you deal with that practically because as writers i think what we do is we talk and 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 then we forget all that and just write the interesting scene and then sometimes we'll look at the interesting scene and say oh my gosh this does address all those things this is all in here it's not all in there and then we'll talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and then just write the next interesting scene but we for us, process-wise, I don't think we can sit there and say, well, let's put in this piece of subtext and that piece of subtext. But as an actor, how do you simultaneously know that that's all there, but also just find a, a truth to play? And as a director, too. More, more often than not, you, it's the personal stuff zings out and slaps you in the face. And when you've either rehearsed it or read it a couple of times or, or have begun shooting it, it's then you go oh, this works on a professional level or a political level as well. It's usually secondary, but you kind of realize more kind of reading it than actually performing it. You read it a couple of times, you go, oh, right, yes. But the personal stuff always shoots out first, and it's what you relate to immediately and very, you know, very quickly. Um, and I, th- I think, I think to, for me, that's where our, our show is kind of, crackles because when the fans kind of go oh that's just like my marriage except without the spy stuff you know <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Sort of go, yeah. Oh, yeah we love that yeah um you, you spoke about parenting man you know elizabeth and Paige have a scene in this episode that it's it's longer than usual i think and it, you just feel like man elizabeth being so hard on Paige. Paige, okay she told pastor tim yes she did but now she can't you know, take a week off. She has to keep going to food pantries. She's like, she just can't get a break. And she is a teenager. Like, is Elizabeth being too hard on Paige, do you think? I think she's, look, these, these, I think the answer is probably yes and no. Mm. But to advocate for the no side, she's giving Paige a plan. And the plan is the necessary plan for this family to survive. And if Paige would just go along and do what she needs to do, Elizabeth wouldn't have to be hard on her. Now, if you listen to what I just described, it's what Matthew was just talking about. Mm -hmm. That could be a description of a lot of situations in a lot of families. Take away all the spy stuff and all the, I told Pastor Tim something that could send my parents to jail. You could take that out of it and it just sounds like a regular family thing. I think Elizabeth is doing what she has to do there. I'm curious, Matthew, when, you know, you often have these great scenes with Frank Langella, you mm-hmm. know, Philip and Gabriel having their sessions. There's one in this episode where Philip is pushing for something that Gabriel doesn't want to give him. And, you, you know, again, taking it out of the spy stuff, usually in a job, if you do well, you get successful, you know, maybe you get a promotion, maybe you get a pay raise. I don't know really how, what 
despise what Philip and Elizabeth can ever get from their handler from the center. Um, I guess they get a break in this episode. They get a little bit of a vacation, although they still have an awful lot of people that they still have to handle. <laughs> we were joking about that. Yeah. You'll get a break, except you'll have to run <laughs> Young He operation yeah, yeah, and the Pastor the CIA, Tim operation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Recruit yeah. seven yeah. new yeah. operatives yeah. in March yeah. and yeah. also yeah. kill no six new people. New surveillance team. <laughs> no new. No, nothing new. Nothing new. Nothing new. Yeah. That feels like that would get very frustrating. It's really hard to like get any leverage as in this job, it seems. Yes, except I think when Elizabeth decided to take Paige to see her mother, they kind of proved, to me, they proved that they said, look, if you don't, we'll do it. And and Philip echoes that in the scene where he says, we can do, we can do this. There is a level of threat that they can, there's an ace they do hold, I think, in saying, if you don't, we'll go rogue like we did last time uh-huh. within the confines of relative safety, which I think unnerves them, which is why he, in that moment, he acquiesces and says, oh, okay, or, gives me the thing. He just point the little finger and go, <laughs> a very large langella finger, and go, <laughs> and go a little, you know. He, so he kind of realizes that we hold, we do hold some certain cards that we do, we can play against them. If I can just go back. Yes. About um, uh, Elizabeth and Paige in that long scene and, and, Kerry was talking about, oh, where am I going to land that? And I'd been talking about some time about a documentary called The Red Army. Oh, you, yeah. Yes, about um, the Soviet ice hockey team. Oh. And I'd been saying, you must watch it, you must watch this. Anyway, we finally watched it just before um, she just shot that scene. And she goes, I'm so glad we watched that documentary. Because it just reminded me of who we are as Russian operatives. And that's what, there's, there's you know, there's a several moments where you, you slightly chill at how they're treated or they treat others and she goes that's who we are and it's as simple as that mm. and it's like i forget we're in we're in 2016 noah says this as well we're in 2016 we need to forget that we're children of a generation russian uh, of a russian generation that were poles apart from who we are and now. forget the russian generation but my wife and i watched adventures in babysitting over the weekend you can't believe the way people talk about Women, mm. gays, mm-hmm. uh, society, relationships, mm. marriage. It was just very different yeah. in the 80s than yeah. it is now. Yes. Uh, yeah, that's it, very true. And, and, we, and parenting. We, lose, we lose sight to that. Sometimes yeah. when we read it, goes, ooh, this is harsh. <laughs> now, I'll tell you something else about that scene, though, that I, that I loved, which was watching dailies. Watching dailies of you directing Carrie attacking Holly in that scene. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, Carrie was just laying into Holly with just this pitch perfect wrenching performance and Holly's got tears in her eyes and then there would be a pause and you would say cut and Carrie would break character and say oh I'm so sorry sweetie I'm so sorry sweetie I'm so sorry and then you would do it again so it was beautiful kind of performance of the scene followed by a heartfelt apology followed by you requesting that it be done again (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it's on daily me making Holly cry (laughs) by doing a slight Meisner um, exercise where you keep you're trying to repeat. You're trying to repeat to get to to build a performance, and it sometimes works, and sometimes makes the actress cry. And I did that, <laughs> which didn't go down well. Fortunately, she just turned eighteen recently. We can no longer be uh, uh, yes. held accountable for any sort of child abuse. So she's suing me now. Yes, she, yes. as an adult. Yeah, <laughs> but several of the crew members were like, "Oh, tough guy!" Shouting at the eighteen-year-old. <laughs> 
That's it for this week. Thank you to Matthew Rees, Alison Wright, Joel Fields and Joe Weisberg for joining me. Come back next week when we'll be talking to the mayor of television about episode 409 the day after. Thanks again for joining us. I'm June Thomas. Our producer is Henry Malofsky. This show is part of the Panoply Network.